4: This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 10, Episode 41.
5: This is Writing Excuses at Sea. How in the world do I tie this all together? Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. I'm Dan. And we once again have guest star Nala Hopkinson. Hello. Thank you for being here. And we have a studio audience. <laughs> Now, um, two weeks back, when we were talking about endings for the first time, and now we're ending our talk, well, next time we'll talk about our ending to endings, because we'll have our Q&A episode. But when we talked about it before, we raised this issue. Um, Dan and I have done this, Mary's done this, we've gotten to the uh, certain length of our story, and we've just ended up stopping, rather than ending. I want to, now that we've diagnosed a problem, I want to talk about how to fix it. Um, let's say you are nearing what the length that you feel your story should be, but you don't feel like you have an ending yet. How do we do this? And I'm gonna let Nalo talk first.
6: Thank you. Um, one of the things I want to say is that if you go, try to go by length first, you've got the wrong end of the stick. Okay, good. Story needs to be the length the story needs to be. Mm -hmm. And if you're trying to write a short story and you end up with a novel, well, woohoo, you have a novel, um, and vice versa. But saying, well, it has to stop at 7,500 words, or it has to stop at 100,000 words, is just gonna hamstring you, or, or it will me, I, because I write you know, fairly organically. No, I
5: think you're right. In fact, part of the problem with that first book of mine that I just stopped was me trying to stuff it into a size and saying, well, this is how long this sort of book should be, so I should stop.
6: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
7: Uh, when, you, when you introduced the topic, you said, you know, we've, we've diagnosed the problem, let's now try to fix it. Yeah. Uh, The diagnosis, I don't think, is what comes first. The first thing that happens is the symptom, which is, this ending isn't working. Mm -hmm. My story is sick. Something is wrong. The diagnosis is digging into those symptoms and asking yourself, what is it about this ending that isn't satisfying? Is it unsatisfying because I'm left hanging with a question? Is it unsatisfying because something happened that didn't seem justified? Is it unsatisfying because... I'm sure there are other reasons, but I can't think of one right now. Once you have those as a diagnosis, you can come up with a treatment because it's easier to
8: solve. One of the really common symptoms that shows up, one of the really common problems is that you have unfulfilled promises in your story. And there are two things that I wanted to mention. We talk about them on this show all the time, so I'm not going to go into huge detail. Just look through our archives. Hollywood formula and the mice quotient Mm -hmm. are both fantastic ways of establishing in the beginning what this story is going to be about and where it's going to go. And so, for example, with the mice quotient, if you are doing a milieu story that starts in a specific place or by leaving a specific place, and then it will end fittingly when you go back to that place, if you start with an idea or a question, then the story will end when that question is answered alternately with Hollywood formula, you establish what the character wants, um, who's trying to stop him, and what is, uh, you know, what is that thematic whatever that you're going to, to have the story be about. The story ends when the character gets or rejects what they want, they have defeated that antagonist, and they have reconciled themselves somehow with that theme. Once, that's a fantastic way that I use constantly with all my books to figure out, okay, I think this is a good ending.
4: And, and that's one thing that, that we were talking about uh, with, with the example that Brandon gave, The Scouring of the Shire, last time. One of the symptoms that you will sometimes have or your beta readers will give is that they'll, they'll, feel, they'll feel let down at the ending. And you're like, but I, I resolved everything. And a lot of times this happens, what, what they're actually pointing at is that you resolve everything in the wrong sequence. Hmm. So, you know, it, it, there, whatever it is that you're starting out with, whatever that compelling thing is that is driving the reader through the story, if it's a murder mystery, it's who killed the guy. And, and, and as soon as you answer that question, that, that is the thing that the reader has been reading for. And so if you do it out of sequence, a lot of times, and this is what happens in Lord of the Rings, you have this sense of, oh, it's ended. And it's ended again. You know the movie, and it's ended again. Oh my, how many times is this movie going to end? And what what is happening mechanically is that you have given the reader a cathartic sense of relief. Mm-hmm. And then you do not have time to build back up to the same peak before you give them another release answer. And so each successive ending feels less and less satisfying. So a lot of times what you have to do is you have to reverse this order of sequence and in order to get things... I, I talk about um, using nest, approaching it like nesting tags that you need to close things out in the reverse order that you opened them.
8: Well, and and I was going to bring up that same metaphor of nested stories because that's what's going on in Lord of the Rings is he's telling so many stories Mm -hmm. and then you are, as the reader, punching through that final tag of each one, one at a time. Um, If you can find a way, and this is one thing that Hollywood formula is great at, find a way to resolve multiple endings at once that all happen together and not only does it feel better, uh, it's a lot more powerful.
4: But the, the caution with that is that if you t- wrap too many of them up with, at the same moment, it can feel neat and tidy and very, very artificial. Or
5: there's actually something worse. And this was a big problem with me early in my career. Dan read a lot of these books where... The Brandon I, Avalanche? They call it the Brandon Avalanche. <laughs> I still have it, but I've learned to deal with it more. And what happened, the problem with the Brandon Avalanche and the Avalanche was where we would oh, I would overlap multiple very powerful moments of resolution in the story, um, usually involving some sort of twist. I really like twist endings. So you're like, wow, this reveals so much about the character. Wow, this reveals so much about the character. Wow, well, this reveals so much about the character. I'm tired of this. And what happens is is each one was weakened by the other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, I could over- when you can overlap a great plot moment and a great character moment, that's great. That's powerful. That's, um, that's what we're looking for. But if you... Uh, kind of overlap three character moments for the same character, with the plot and with this, what would happen is people would lose track of everything that's happening. Um, And this was was very detrimental to my stories working. Uh, Often those
8: uh, twists and surprising new character information would also come at the same time as an invasion of another nation because...
5: Hey, I only we need that to once. be running while yeah. we're having deep yeah. character moments.
6: <laughs> but I did do that
5: once. I, I was bad at introducing uh, third act new conflicts. Nala, you had something you wanted to add.
6: Yeah, I think there's a couple things going on with that, and one is um, often we talk about the character at the end getting what they want. For me, it's more satisfying when the character it's not just that they get what they want but they get what they need, mm-hmm. and they may not be the same thing. I like it when there are ways in which they are the same thing, um, but that's one way of packing in those two endings, both the emotional, um, res- emotionally resonant ending and the plot ending um, in ways that sort of make the story go, oh. Um, and so I think sometimes it's, it's a structural problem more than a plot problem. Uh, and Samuel R. Delaney has said, Everything in a science fiction story should be repeated, including science fiction. (laughs) Yes, think about that for a minute. Um, And so one of the things I do is to go through the story again and look for key elements. And I cannot give you a good reason why they're key. You will know what they are uh, and repeat them, but differently. So that you're sort of tying up each of those key emotional or plot things as you go through Um, And it, it almost doesn't matter what order you do that in, because by the time you get to the end, the reader feels satisfied.
9: Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered.
5: Excellent. Let's go ahead and stop for the book of the week. Um the book of the week is actually a, a little book called Shadows of Self, written by me. Uh, and it is actually a little book for me. It's only 120,000 words. Oh wow. Um yeah, it's nice and short a wee thing. A wee thing. Uh for those who don't know word counts, that's basically that's that's an that's the about longer the size of my longest book ever. Yeah, yeah. I'm just rolling my eyes um, but uh, Shadows of Self is the next Mistborn book, and it came out when you're hearing this just a couple weeks ago, and I am so excited to be sharing these books with you because one of my goals with the series was to show um, an epic fantasy world and then take it forward several hundred years, which I feel like epic fantasy avoids doing, and show you a more contemporary era in the same world. And this, is, this continues the adventures of um, of. Wax and Wayne, yes, it's a pun, uh, two characters. Um, and the main character, I, I pitch him as Clint Eastwood, from, is like an old sheriff and gets pulled into big city politics in New York um, in a fantasy setting. Um, with uh, him still trying to sheriff things, but not being able to do it, and it's uh, it's got all sorts of cool references back to the original um, trilogy. The things that happened in the original trilogy are now the religions and mythology in the current myth- um, the current world. Um, I, I think you will find it very fun, and it moves at a, at a fast clip. It's read by Michael Kramer, who is an awesome reader. M- my personal favorite reader is Michael Kramer, and so. I suggest that you may want to give it a listen. The first of this sequence is called The Alloy of Law, if you haven't listened to that one, also read by Michael Kramer. You can get that. Audiblepodcast.com slash
7: excuse. will let you start a 30-day free trial membership. We'll help support my favorite writing podcast, and hopefully yours. Um, and you could
5: get a copy of Shadows of Self absolutely free. So, I've got another question for you guys. Um, and this is, this is an important one, I think, um, for listeners to hear about. Do you have to wrap everything up?
7: No. 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 Um, it,
5: well, that was easy. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Yeah. How do you pick which ones, I guess? How do you yes. pick ones? Here, here's, let me tell you a story. I have um, a, a person in my writing group who is a fantastic writer who sometimes gets down on her endings because her endings are not of the revelatory twist-and-turn moments. Instead, they are filled with satisfying conclusions to the issues she's raised. They're wonderful endings, but she feels since she hasn't had these twists and turns, since she hasn't you know not tied everything up neatly in a bow, since some of the stuff is still messy, she has a bad ending. When in reality, her endings are fantastic. Yeah, and I... Oh, I,
7: I don't have the luxury of rewriting schlock mercenary endings after I've... Uh, after I've written them and put them up on the web. uh, I have to troubleshoot them before I get to them. And in order to do that, I sit down, and I've talked about this before, I sit down with my writer's group and I ask them, what are the questions that I have asked? What are the promises that I have made? You tell me what you've gotten out of this so far. And sometimes they will say things like, well, I'm really expecting this one thing that happened to be a running gag because that was so satisfying, I wanna see it again. And I think, huh, that was a throwaway, but you're right, I can use that again. And that information, knowing what it is the readers are expecting, I'm not asking them to write my ending, I'm asking them to tell me what sort of things are you going to find satisfying so that as I build the ending, I incorporate the
5: right elements. You know, Howard, you always talk about the luxur- we, luxuries we have by being able to prepare and things, but you get to see the reaction in real time, not with beta readers, not with alpha readers, but in real time to your story and adjust accordingly. That's actually pretty cool. Uh, it's terrifying. Yeah, exactly. I, I was
7: say. I, I'm glad you think that that's wonderful. It's like jumping out of an airplane and weaving a parachute on the way down.
4: Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, I, I, the way I use my beta readers, I get reactions in real time with a small group behind private closed doors that I can then fix things. Yeah. But, but like Howard, I, one of the things that I am looking for when I hand it to my beta readers is whether or not it's producing the emotional sensation that I want them to have. And that is what I am looking for when I'm looking to make sure that I have tied up all of the elements I need to tie up. If they are feeling dissatisfied at the end and can tell me what it is that they're like, I really needed to know more about X... That tells me one of two things. Either I need to wrap that thread up or I need to go back earlier into the manuscript to de-emphasize it. As an example, um, I know that there's some people in the studio audience who have read of Noble Family. How many of you missed the pineapple reticule? Okay, two of you who read the beta. No. <laughs> there's, there was a pineapple reticule that was initially just a minor... Something for someone to do with their hands Mm -hmm. Hmm. My beta readers were like I need to know more about the I love the pineapple reticule So I went ahead and wove it in more But then by the time I got to the end I'm like This novel is not about the pineapple reticule (laughs) (laughs) And so I went back and cut it completely from the book because in that particular case, it was unbalancing everything because I had put too much emphasis on it. So a lot of times when you find that your ending is a problem, the, it's not the ending, it's your setup.
5: Right. And if you've been listening to the podcast all along and been working on this, hopefully you've identified, we're we trying to drill this into you in the first quarter of the podcast um, this year, identify what your promises are so that the fulfilling of them should, should come about all right. mm-hmm. Um, I do want to ask another kind of difficult question at the podcasters. Um, sad endings. Unhappy endings. Um, when characters die. I built my career on those. Um, uh, how do you make these work? How do you make, how do you write an ending like that, that then people say, that is terrible, I want to read more? Instead of, that is terrible, I'm never touching this again.
8: <laughs> um, what I did with, with John Cleaver Is determined first of all that that all of the books would be tragedies, but that he would still get to succeed in them and uh, one line that I'm particularly proud of at the end of Mr. Monster is um, He you know, he's defeated the Bad guy he's defeated the villain, but he's not happy and his life still sucks and he says i I slayed the dragon But I didn't get the princess and that's kind of how his life goes he he does great things and he helps people but that doesn't make him happier. And and it, it leaves people with this sense of conclusion. You have raised an issue and you have solved that issue, but you also kinda of ruined this kid's
7: life in the process. I'm sorry, Mario, our princess is in another castle. <laughs> yeah.
4: And and I think part of part of that and and this is I think true with John Cleaver as well, but in horror novels a lot of times with or, or horror stories, but what I'll see with, with people who are uh, early writers or, or things that fail is that it is... The, the hero has not... The hero has to earn a happy ending, but they also have to earn a tragic ending.
6: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah, I like that.
4: And a lot of times they have done nothing wrong to deserve what happens to them. And it, it doesn't even have to be that they are a bad person, but that they are making decisions that are leading them down that path. That path is inevitable. It's not just a series of random things that are happening to them that are bad. And, you know, John Cleaver, he does a lot of good things, but he also does a lot of bad things. And that ending that he winds up with is an ending that he has brought upon himself.
8: Yeah. I mean, the the tragic flaw you learned about in your junior high Shakespeare class, that's there for a reason, Uh, because they have to bring this on themselves.
6: Nala, did you write something down there? I did. um, Many, many things, in fact. But uh, I think it's uh, John Clute, critic John Clute, I first heard talking about horror as being uh, a a bacchanalia that celebrates the, the sort of cyclic nature of evil. So sometimes what the, the, the tragic ending does is to say, this is the kind of thing that happens and it will keep happening. Um, and that... I can find it satisfying. I can sometimes just feel that it's, it's, it leaves the, the protagonist with no way out. Mm-hmm. So what I try to do when I, I, I do a, a negative ending is... Um, Either it's something that the character has deliberately brought on themselves for a reason, uh, a a noble self-sacrifice, something like that, or it is, um, I don't quite bring it up to the ending so that you can see where it's going, Mm. but there's just that little glimmer of hope Mm -hmm. that something different's going to happen.
5: Right, you know, looking at not horror books, because you know, you're kind of cheating, Dan. Because you're like, guess what? This is a terrible book. Oh, look, at the end, it was terrible. Um, <laughs> if you're going to end another book with, um, with something, you need to give that foreshadowing that this is the sort of story where terrible things can happen. Um, and that, that the possibility of having a terrible ending is there. Ter- good ending with, with, um, with yeah. sadness. Um, another thing to keep in mind is the readers will often follow the emotional arcs of the character. And so if the character has that moment of, I'm okay with this. This is what I signed up for. You know, it may cost my life, but I'm okay with it. Then that is very different from the, you know, the the character who, you know, gets... Gets, gets killed in a way that's very brutal. I mean, I'm thinking of some of the movies I saw where a character you don't expect to die, dies in a horrible way. In a movie where you didn't expect this sort of thing to happen, it happened in Jurassic World. There was yeah. this poor woman who did, got just, you know, eaten by a monster for no deserving reason. Well, and, and it, in a horrific
8: way, In a horrific too.
5: way, and I'm like, that, that was unearned. The characters aren't okay with that. That was there for shock value, and it, it almost ruined the movie for me. Um, it's just a side character, but I'm like, this person didn't deserve it. Um, and that movie didn't prepare me. You know, the, the early movies prepared me that, yeah, the lawyer's going to get eaten, but these people get away, or they at least die heroically or something like that. So preparation and let, following the character emotional arts. For me, the and I've talked about these before, the
7: stand-up-and-cheer moments, mm-hmm. um, if... If a, and I'm going to use character death as a sad thing, but it stands in for all, all kinds right. of others. Um, if at the, the low, things are as bad as they can possibly get moment in the book, there is character death, that's pretty sad. And that is completely different from mm-hmm. character death that happens concatenated with or simultaneous to a stand up and cheer moment where we can see there has been a triumph. It was an expensive triumph, but we love that, that we won. We love that we succeeded. Wow, that was hard and expensive. Those are completely different. They can both be used to terminate
5: a character arc, mm-hmm. um, but they had a completely different effect for me on the reader. Um, but we're getting close to the end here. I want to let Nalo have the last word before we wrap
6: it up. Oh, I better make it a good one. Um, <laughs> The thing is that fiction is, in a way, an oddly moral art. We sort of feel that things have to make sense, that people have to earn what happens to them. And I think part of the reason we read fiction is because uh, life is not an um, inherently moral art. Things happen at random. Fiction makes sense. That's a perfect way to bring it out. Yeah. Um, thank you so
5: much. Uh, we're actually going to have Mary give us a writing prompt. Right. Or a homework.
4: Right. So your homework is to take a look at the last paragraph of your, of your work in progress, whether that's a novel or a short story, and the first paragraph, and look to see if there are resonances from the first paragraph that you can build into the last paragraph. These are the key moments that Nala was talking about, questions that we may have answered, images that are powerful, that you can build them in in the reverse order in which you introduced them. Or if you have a powerful image in your closing paragraph, see if there's a place you can put it back into your opening so that you have
5: that resonance for the audience. Excellent. Well, this has been Writing Excuses at Sea. You're out of excuses. Now go write.